y'all. And again, this is going to be some stuff that is very, that is a lot of stuff going on in the world today. A lot of people asking a lot of questions. Are we living in the end times? Are we seeing the coming of, of things? We're seeing things from the heavens that nobody can identify. We're, we're seeing things going on that's never happened in the, since the existence of our country. We're seeing crazy things going on with people's morality, with the way that they see things and are doing things, calling good evil and evil good. People's hearts are, are twisted and, and, and even into the public sector, it's very difficult to navigate through some of these sinful things that's going on that is just plain sinful and if preachers are going to be true preachers and stand on the truth they'll call it for what it is and not play the woke game but God has an agenda and he has a plan for us and he has a purpose for us and this is what prophetic word is for and I'm going to say this again we talked about this a little bit deception 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 is what we keep seeing in these end time scriptures that we keep reading in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus keeps reiterating deception on a mass level. Deception, deception, deception. The theme is found out throughout the, the, all of the prophetic scriptures. The most thing talked about in the end time discourses, false prophets, false teachers, lying wonders, etc., etc. Watch out for spiritual deception. It's the fruit that is born that leads you to destruction if you take it in, if you believe in it. I have studied out and wrote papers on every single denomination that there is that we know of. And I can tell you of a truth. When the scripture calls out back in the days of the apostles, listen, they didn't have a Bible. Understand that first of all. To understand what is going on here, you've got to go back to their day. You can't use, I've said this many times, we can't use the culture that we live in to understand their culture. That's extremely important. You can't do that. You have to look at it from their perspective in order to be able to understand. And in doing that, you've got to understand what they were talking about and what they were meaning when they were saying it according to the things that they were living and was going on in their day. So very, very important. So the first thing we look at and understand is they did not have a Bible. These were churches being talked to by the apostles. So when we talk about deception, it's very, it's very, listen, it's very important that you understand this. The only thing that these people had was the word of the disciples Preach to them and the Holy Spirit to confirm to them whether they're hearing from God or not. They didn't have an old King James Version or a new King James Version or an NIV or an NLT or an NASB or an ESV. They didn't have any of that. They come in a congregation like this, pretend we were back there just for a second. We're 2,000 years ago. You didn't have a Bible. You came into this church and you were listening to what I had to say and that was it. That was it. And you had to gauge whether or not I was a true prophet of Christ or a false prophet preaching you lies. And the apostles was very, very concerned about this, especially the apostle Paul. About the deception going on because it was just people walking in claiming to be something, but was not. But was not. 
Deception, deception, deception. Verse 15 through 23 outline the post-rapture world and the extreme distress of divine proportions that it's going to receive. Now, Jesus said right here, we know that this is the great tribulation because Jesus himself says, for there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world, he says, and will never be equaled again. So you take that massive earthquake that just happened, where was that at in Turkey? And over 40,000 people have perished that they know, that's nothing. You take the worst famines in the land, that's nothing. You take hunger, you take pestilences, you take diseases, it'll make COVID look like a walk in the park. What's coming on to the world? Understand that. There is nothing that has happened. Jesus himself said it. We can stand on the word of God. There is nothing that has happened ever in this world that can ever equal it. Not yet. But when the church is removed, it's going to break loose in a way that people will absolutely, their hearts, the scripture says, will begin to fail them for fear. So we're looking at this kind of thing. A world that's so bad, plagues, storms, earthquakes, like I said, uh, is going to be so, so terrible, the world will have no gauge for it. Either you'll believe what the Holy Word of God has to say here, or you're going to think that God's Word is lunacy. Jesus making these remarks, you've got to believe in what He is saying. Because he, he is either the son of the living God or he's not God at all to you. And that's just it. And that's how the word is. And that's how the word is given to us, you see. The author of this very book that we're looking at, the very scriptures we're looking at is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is none other like him and every single thing that he says is going to come to pass. And as we spoke before, Regarding these prophecies, it's really important not to get hung up into the fear of this, okay? And what's going to shortly befall the world. The prevailing message in all of this is this, that we can absolutely 100% trust God's Word. That we can absolutely, without, without even a thought, you can trust what God says. Absolutely. God Himself has told us that He has declared it. The end from the beginning. In Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, He says this, Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. Listen at this statement. I am God and there is none like me. Isaiah said, only I can tell you the future before it happens, God says. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. What does that tell you? That when God declared it already, it was absolutism. Understand when you read the Bible and you read declarations like in Matthew chapter 24 or in the book of Daniel, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Zechariah, in the book of Revelations, they are absolutism. They will happen without a doubt. Because God speaks it and it's as good as done. Forever settled in heaven. Forever settled in heaven. That is exactly right, brother. That is exactly right. So you can take God at his word. 
You can take him at his word. That's why it's so extremely important when a preacher gets up to preach. Listen, he preaches the word. Because it is dogma. It is absolutely it. Period. Translation, you can take it to the bank. God's in control. What he says is what he'll do. It must happen. Uh, We have to be able to shift our understanding uh, of things to the operational paradigm of faith is what I say. Letting what we know about God guide your life. The interesting thing about faith and the interesting thing about the word of God is this. It's up to you. God gave you a choice. Now, as I've said before, David said, I'm old, but I was once young and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor have I ever seen God's seed begging for bread. In other words, God is absolutely dependable. And I don't know why we don't put our full trust in him fully. You've got nothing in which to distrust God with. He's never failed ever. Everything that he's ever said, he's done. So if there's ever someone you can put your faith in, it's God. It is absolutely God. What are we waiting for? What are you holding back? Give in. Let go and let God. Especially in these last days. There is absolutely put what you know about God into faith and let it happen. Let go of self and let God have full Full control. John the Baptist said it best. He said, I must decrease. Come on, what's it? Yes. Not only operationally in the land that day, but that goes spiritually for all of us. Let God increase. Follow God in your life. He is absolutely the truth. Absolutely. Know that He said... That the war has been won. Before we get into this. It's done. It's done. We are to know and believe this. And pass the good news of prophecy on to the rest of the world. It's why we must hold biblical prophecy in such high regard. Because Almighty God. Jehovah God. Said it. Folks, if you believe He's God, you got to believe it's done. So pass it on. Don't miss the rapture of the church, you might say to somebody. Don't miss the rapture of the church. Because it's done. It's going to happen. The calling away of the church, it's going to happen. Don't miss that. It's going to happen. Absolutely, because not because Jay said it, not because you said it, because God said it, folks. Listen to this. Now, I told you, I was going to tell you the most Prominent, important prophecy in the whole Bible. In the whole Bible. It sets the whole prophetic biblical narrative in action. And there is a lot that goes with this. Jesus was a result of this prophecy. In Genesis 3.15, God did something remarkable. He said it, and it will be so. It's the whole most important thing that sets the whole narrative of the rest of the Bible. 
Because it's all about this and it's going to end all about this. God said to the devil. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This was when he was pronouncing judgment on Adam, Eve, the devil and the world. And he said, and between your offspring and hers, very interesting statement there, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now that did several things right there. Several things. Without a doubt, this is the ultimate prophecy of the Bible. It has eternal connotations to it. It has eternal judgment to it. It pronounced judgment on the devil. God said it, it's done. Satan should have just knew that. And he does. But it also did something else. God pronounced to Satan this prophecy that he would be defeated by a child, the seed of that woman. That's what he said. The seed of the woman. You know him. His name is Yahshua. Jesus, the Messiah. The promised one of Genesis 3.15. The promised one. What this prophecy also did was give Satan a target. And I'm going to prove that to you here in just a minute. It gave Satan a target. He was just pronounced judgment on him. And he, God said the seed of the woman, the offspring, the child of the woman is going to crush your head. The devil knew that. So, in order to try to thwart God's plan of destroying him, in order to try to thwart God's plan of redemption for mankind, somehow, some way, Satan would come up with a plan that was so disastrous for the whole world, its result was a flood in the days of Noah. That's how bad it was. Genesis chapter 6. And it's, and it's no coincidence. Everybody listen. It's no coincidence when the Bible says something. Amen? There's no coincidence to it. So when the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, when men began to increase in number on the earth, Okay, now I just explained something to you. It's going to be a seed war. It's going to be a descendancy of Eve who's going to destroy Satan. Now, do you think that it was by coincidence that it starts off saying that men began to increase in number on the earth? It, that's no coincidence. What's that do the, to the devil? The devil starts seeing all these opportunities for a savior to be born. Why? Because there's many people being born. That's increasing the chances of someone who's going to crush his head. Listen to what happens. 
And the daughters were born to them. And the sons of God, these are fallen angels. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And we're leading up to where we're going to be talking about who the Antichrist is. And they were beautiful and the sons of God, or the, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they were, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, Satan started getting involved, impregnating women to try to thwart this plan of God, the seed of God. That's why they did that. If you've ever wondered why they did that, that's why they did that. Genesis chapter 3 tells you the seed of the woman, and now you see these fallen angels producing seed of their own. Come on. That's what that meant. And then God destroyed. Now listen, I'm going to show you something here in just a minute. It's, it's amazing. My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years, the scripture said. God, again, announcing judgment. In, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. That's what it says, the Nephilim. These were the offspring of these fallen angels and the daughter, uh, daughters of men. The Nephilim were on the earth those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old men of renown giants. The word Nephilim means giant. That's what that word means. Giants were on the land. And then they became so wicked. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth and had become angry. And he said and and that. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind out whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men, animals, creatures uh, that move along the ground, the birds of the air for everything had been contaminated. And God said, I'm going to destroy it. Jude chapter Jude six and eight says this. And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. Angels were not supposed to leave the dimension that they were given to live in. And yet they did. And they came down to man and they had children with them. This is what Jude's saying. But it's interesting what's going to happen here. So horrid in the sight of the Lord was the sin. Listen to this. Have you ever thought about this? This is what happened. We read this in our Bible. So horrid in the sight of the Lord was this sin that he cast these angels into the abyss, Jude 6 and 8, to stay there chained until they are thrown into the lake of fire. But yet the devil is out running around. Have you ever thought about that? Okay, so the devil, the king of the fallen angels, is still on the loose. But these are chained in darkness until judgment when they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Have you ever thought about that? Your Bible says that. These particular angels were captured and taken from the presence of man because of their sin was so grievous, so wicked were they, that the devil was allowed to remain loose and not them. A lot of people missed that. So grievous was it that God destroyed the earth. Only Noah found grace in the sight of God. Only Noah. 
found grace in the sight of God. Listen at this. How bad is that? Jude says, and the angels do not, do not keep their own domain, but abandon their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Jude 6 through 8. So if you've never, Bible scholars, listen, if you've never thought of that, why is the devil loose and these angels are not? You think about that. You pray about that. Because it was such a grievous sin that Satan tried to get involved with the seed of the woman, which was declared was going to bring forth the Messiah. Amazing. I love the Bible. It answers everything. Listen to this. Now moving on to Jesus talking about in the Scripture that I read to you. Now listen, the abomination of desolation. And we talked about this. We talked about the fact that this was not Antiochus Apophanes of history who sacrificed pig flesh on the altar. It, this was not Hitler. This was not Napoleon. This was not any of They did possess the spirit of Antichrist. But they were not the embodiment of the one to come. The man of lawlessness. The man of sin. That's reserved for a special person. Even though the spirit, the scripture says, was alive. Even back in the days of John. He says... So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that caused desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. In Thessalonians, it points directly to the Antichrist. We talked about this, not some other person in history. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered together to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, a letter supposedly from us. Listen, the Mormon faith declares that an angel from heaven came down and gave them a new declaration of faith. It's exactly what Paul said not to listen to. You realize that? I'm just being truthful with you. Listen to this. Don't be fooled. He says, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. That's number one. There's going to be a big time rebellion against the church, against God. We see that going on right now in the world today. Lawlessness going on at a high rate. And it says, and the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The one who brings destruction. And then he gives us the, the pertinent inform information that shows us who Jesus is talking about. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. That's a very specific, very specific indication of that person. Now listen to this. Paul says, don't you remember that I told you that? Who is the Antichrist then? We talked about an unholy trinity. Everything that God has done, Satan will try to mimic. 
Even to the fact of trying to raise this Antichrist, who's the second person of the unholy trinity, to try to raise him from the dead, just like Jesus was raised from the dead. So you have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. That's your unholy satanic trinity. That's what that is. Listen to this. So who is the Antichrist? What is his purpose? The term Antichrist, and this is a very interesting tidbit for you, and that baby's not hurting a thing. I just want you to know that. I love to hear a baby crying in the church. That's a future of the church right there. Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. I'm glad to have every single one of them in here. I'll preach in the nursery. I don't care. The word Antichrist is only found being used by the Apostle John. You don't really see it anywhere else. Only John. He's a false prophet. He's an evil being who gets his power straight from the devil and will set himself up against the people of Christ and even against Christ himself in the last days. This man of sin will stand in opposition to every single thing that Christ represents. I can sit here and tell you there are denominations, there are people out there who claim to be Christian people who do everything against what the Word of God says. People, if, if, people listen to me. If people says they're a Christian and they bow down to idols, wrong. If people says that they're a Christian and they pray to the dead, wrong. That's called necromancy. That's an abomination in the sight of God. If people declare that their priests or their teachers cannot marry, wrong. That's a doctrine of demons. If people declare that you can only eat certain foods on certain days, wrong. That's a doctrine of demons according to the scripture. If the scripture says that you bow down and you call any man father, boom, that is absolutely a, a, a sin in the eyes of God. He says, nope, don't call any man father. Now, I've just described to you several points of one of the major religions in this world. I didn't say that. God did. Don't you look at me that way. Don't you look at me and say that. I'm just the UPS man delivering the word. I'm thankful God said that. And I didn't say that. Listen to this. Lord have mercy. So in 1 John chapter 2, and I wrote these down. In 1 John chapter 2, 18 and 19, who is the Antichrist, the man that will stand in opposition to Christ? Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming, John says. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Also in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. And 2 John verse 7 all declare the same very thing. Who is he? John tells us. As listed below here, what I'm about to get into, that the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist already exists through the messages of the false prophets of his day who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. There is a major, major denomination out there who's probably knocked on your door who does not believe that Jesus Christ has, raised, has been raised from the dead. 
that there was no bodily resurrection. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that there is no bodily resurrection. That is an abomination. That is a direct antichrist spirit. Amen. That's what it says. That's what it says. Thank God I didn't say that. I'm glad I didn't say that. Jesus tells us that there's going to be a supreme antichrist of history that would appear sometime in the future. A supreme being. What's his mission? The antichrist's primary work is deception. Which also characterizes the devil himself as he attempts to undermine the work of God in this world. Satan's deception began in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, in which I read to you, and will continue through all the annals of time until time is no more and he is dealt with. Deception. I'm preaching to you truth tonight. I'm preaching to you Bible tonight. This is not the book of J. This is not the book of a denomination. I'm not going to preach to you Southern Missionary Baptist or General Baptist or Free Will Baptist or the Mountain Assembly or the Church of God or the, or the Holiness Church or the Lutheran Church or the Episcopalian Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Lutheran Church. Who's right? The public says. The Bible's right. That's who's right. And we have to believe it. We can't twist it and turn it in what we want it to be. You've got to adhere to what it says and allow it to twist, turn, and break you into a follower of Jesus Christ. His mission again, the dragon or serpent of Revelations chapter 12 is the devil. The serpent mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. And the thread of Satan's deceptive work can be traced from Genesis all the way through the Bible into the book of Revelations. The Antichrist will be the sum total of the beast referred to in Daniel chapter 7. Also in Revelations chapter 13, 1 through 4. He'll speak arrogant, boastful words and he'll be aided by a false prophet. Who will make the entire earth worship him. Revelations 13, 11 and 12 and receive his mark, the number of the beast that John says as a mysterious code is 666. And it says it like this. Lord, I am and this, this is the dragon gave the beast his power. And his throne in great authority. And one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. But the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he was given great authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast and who can make war against him? It says. Dear children, John tells us. Then there was a third angel that said from a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb of God. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast or his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. 666. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and who remain faithful to Jesus Christ. This false prophet 
Just like John the Baptist cried out in the wilderness that Jesus was the one. This one right here is going to cause people to worship the Antichrist. And if you don't, you will be killed. That's what the Bible says. In Revelations 13, 11 through 17, and I'm going to read this again. It says this, this is the false prophet. I saw another beast. That's the false prophet. Coming out of the earth, he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. Revelations 13, 11 through 17, whose fatal wound was healed, just like Jesus was risen from the dead. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given great power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all to refuse to worship him to be killed. He forced everyone, small, great, rich, poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their forehead so that no one could buy, sell unless they had had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. It is the number of 666. Now, does that mean that we're going to have the number 666 on us? I have heard so many theories. I've heard so many theories. I've had people, I've heard people say, look on every cue card or every, all them little cue code things. There's always a six, a six, and a six. I've heard people talk about that. I've heard people say, and this is true, in the Hebrew, when a Hebrew name is written, every alphabet, every letter of the alphabet has a numerical equivalent. And I've heard theologians say that if you know the man's name and if you can pronounce it in Hebrew, you should be able to calculate the number of his name, which is 666, because like the letter A might be 25 and the letter B might be worth 150 and the letter whatever might be worth 35. And if you calculate the number of his name, you will come up with the number of a man. But I can tell you this. He will be exactly opposite of Jesus. The scripture says, I believe it's in the book of Isaiah. It says that Jesus had no comeliness in which to attract us. Listen to this. Isaiah 53, 2 and 6. The, the smitten Lord endured it all, becoming the perfect sacrifice to perfect our redemption perfectly. Listen to this. If you don't believe in the bodily resurrection, this, this whole thing is about contaminating Christ. That was Satan's attempt. That's what got those angels chained in darkness. And yet, Satan is loose. Brother, I tell you, most people don't think about that. Most people preach their whole life and not know that. God, Satan just blinds their mind to it. 
We see these angels bound, but why is the devil loose? The king of the fallen angels. Listen to this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. What that means is this. Jesus didn't attract people to him because he was a good looking man and a great orator, so to speak. He drew people from the love of God that was within him. When the people got around Jesus, they sensed something different about him. If Jesus, the man in the flesh, was to walk in here amongst us in church, you should be feeling this in your heart because of your relationship with Christ. But if Jesus, the Christ, was to appear in the flesh right here, let me tell you, you cannot be in his presence without feeling the love of God and the power of God in that man. The pull to your heart is so significant that it takes a person in all out rebellion to stand against the wooing power of the Holy Spirit. And when the crowds were around him, they were attracted to him because he loved them with the love of God. Oh, there was just something about talking to that that man who had no comeliness. In other words, he was not a good, he was just an average guy. But there was something about it, brother. When he looked me in the eyes, it penetrated my soul. If I was there, I know what they're talking about right here. I know what Isaiah's saying. If I was there and I walked up to Jesus and looked at him, it would be something so, so incredible that when he spoke, it was as if everything obeyed it. Even the weather. The, the sound of his voice that went out had such authority in it that even animal life and weather and people heard it and knew that it was absolute truth that Creator had spoken it. It changes things. The scribes and the Pharisees, they just talk about what they know. But this man is the one they're talking about. And he talks from authority. Because it's his. Understand that they were looking at their maker. When you talk about Jesus, he's the one that formed you in the womb. And to sit there and look at this man. And to hear him speak to you. Oh, I cannot wait to see him. I cannot wait to allow my eyes, for my eyes to be allowed to look upon his face. Oh, I want to hug the Lord and tell him how much I love him. And how much I appreciate him for saving a wretch like me. That I don't deserve a thing. And I'll gladly take my crown and throw it at his feet. Say, I'm not worthy of anything. Just, just let me live here. Just let me see your wonderful face. He had no comeliness or majesty. I love how this puts it to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Uh, Isaiah says verse three says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering like no one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished that brought uh, peace upon us. And by his wounds, we are healed. By stripes, we are healed. The body, 
The significance of the bodily resurrection. If you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the grave in the body, then salvation is incomplete. The apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ was raised. And if Christ was not raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. False prophets and false teachers teach that. Satan wants them to fill your ears with things that would make your faith useless. To get you to believe in something whose end is destruction. That's the whole plan of the devil in this whole thing. Started in Genesis chapter 3 with a seed war. The seed of the devil and the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman was going to crush his head. And so Satan tried to interfere. And God said, we ain't playing that. You've crossed the line. And he took those angels and he bound them into the abyss. They can't they are bound away from man. And the only time they'll be released from that is to be thrown into the lake of fire that burns forever in the great white throne judgment. Pray that you miss these things. The abomination of desolation as spoken of right here in this particular scripture is two things in, in Revelations right here that we covered. And I just want to reiterate this and then we're going to close. So, so from Revelation, or I'm sorry, 24, 15 through 23, this is the great tribulation and this is the Antichrist himself setting himself up to be God. The devil incarnate setting in the temple to come. Now, here's an interesting tidbit for you. Upon researching this, and I found this out a long time ago, for a long time right now, they have already performed the kosher acts on the furniture of the temple. They have already done and been going through the selection process of the Levite priests. They have they have. I mean, vetted these people to make sure that these people who are becoming priests, who are becoming priests, temple priests, they can trace their lineage back to the, the Levitical tribe. They have done that. They have right now a golden menorah that is a monster right now. And most of the furniture that they have for the temple is already done and has been prayed over. That's a fact. It's ready. That's how close we are. Where's the temple going to be? The Dome of the Rock sits directly on top of it. Some people say there's going to be a great, this great earthquake is going to collapse that Dome of the Rock and that what's going to be exposed, and this is pure conjecture. This is not Bible. Understand my speech. A lot of people think that's going to reveal the old temple. It's beneath it. Some people say that's not even where the old temple's at. It's over this way. To the side of that. Regardless of the fact, they're almost ready. That's how close we are. That's how close we are. And if we're that close, then I'm here to tell you, like we preached the other night, the calling of the away of the church of Jesus Christ, Christ, what we call the rapture, is on our doorsteps. Are you ready?